You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the community radio network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. And if I cough during the program, no, I haven't got coronavirus, OK? Uh, if you're wondering what anarchy is all about, simple concept, anarchos without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You share power and you share wealth. Very simple. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions. Now, I'm going to start off with the old coronavirus because a lot of garbage has been spoken about, and I think it's important that the listeners to the Anarchist World this week are up to date with uh, what, this is, what this is all about. And I might even make some jokes, which I know is very inappropriate, but we'll sort it out as we go along. Now, coronavirus is a new virus. That's the problem. It's a new virus and it was transferred from animals to humans a few months ago. So when it was first transferred, it was difficult to know what we were dealing with because things like SARS and the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome had mortality rates of between 10 to 30%, which is quite a high mortality rate. But over the last three months, with a lot of uh, cooperative, and that's the key word, cooperative activity between uh, government sectors and private organisations. We've learned a lot about its transmission, uh, mortality rates uh, and uh, who it affects. And there is a lot of hysteria, actually mass hysteria. I mean, when you see photographs of people lying up buying toilet paper, you think, well, it must be the time of the rapture, mustn't it? You know? We're all going to shit ourselves to death, so we need toilet paper, don't we? Because the rapture's coming. But on a serious note, let's 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 talk about the facts. One, it affects men more than women. Two, it doesn't seem to affect children to any great degree, like SARS and uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Syndrome, which is a very good thing. Three, it is highly infective. Four. The virus can actually uh, survive on uh, inanimate objects like door handles, rails, whatever, you know, uh, for maybe up to three to four hours, which is reasonably long. Four, 
Five, it's a relatively mild illness for the majority of people. And the people that are most at risk are people like me, people who are elderly, people who are disabled, and people who have a compromised immune system. And the mortality rate can, in a major Western industrialised you know, IT society like Australia, with a public health system. Remember, the key word is public health system, where everybody can access healthcare, irrespective of what they earn and who they are, can is actually about double the rate of influenza in the community. So most people who will get coronavirus, or contact 19 as they call it, um, will have a relatively mild illness and it's the elderly and people with compromised immune systems who have maybe multiple disorders who are at risk also we think it seems that it's obviously an influenza type illness that it's people who are exposed to who've been who are smokers or have been smokers and who are exposed to the pollution in uh, major cities and are involved in uh, workplace activities where, where uh, they have to uh, involved in pollution, uh, much more at risk of, of dying. So it's basically if it gets into your lungs, which it does, but it sits there and you don't have the immune system to cope with it, it's an issue. Now, another issue is why are we worried? One, it's a new virus. Two... There is no herd immunity in the population uh, around the world uh, so that, you know, there hasn't been enough infections for people to actually have developed antibodies to protect them in the future. And uh, why are we worried? Because to a large degree, we've seen a lot of hysteria created by totally inaccurate statements not just in the mass media, which loves to create a little bit of hocus-pocus and a little bit of a crisis, but in obviously in social media. So if you want to make a joke about it, and I know it's not a joke, you could say it's Gaia's revenge. Remember Gaia, that superhuman life system which keeps life ticking over on the planet? It said, Joe, your time's up. Off you go. Off to the next world. But seriously, it can be contained. It shouldn't cause mass hysteria. We do have an effective public health system. It may be slow and it may be underfunded, but we do have dedicated staff in the public health sector. Uh, And I think as a nation, compared to many other places in the world, uh, we will be able to cope with it uh, much better and the mortality rate will be much less in this country if if hundreds of thousands of people uh, get infected. So the good news is, one, it's a relatively mild infection for most people. Two, it's a relatively mild infection in children, and mortality in children is unlikely. Three, by taking simple measures like uh, if you're on the street and you're going to about to cough, if you're coughing your... Uh, into your arm, into your elbow. I was going to say your armpit, which would be a bit difficult, but into your elbow. 
you know, into the pit there. And if you wash your hands, you know, you've got a good chance of uh, um, not being getting very sick. Unfortunately, if you're elderly, like I am, and all elderly people have compromised immune systems, and if you have multiple uh, medical issues, these are the people who are most at risk, and most at risk of actually dying from uh, this virus. Now, most likely in the next six months, maybe 12 months, there will be, like there is with influenza, or various strains of influenza, there will be a vaccine which uh, will assist people to uh, deal with the issue. But in the interim, uh, containment and uh, people being alert, uh, I think is the best way, personally I believe this is the best way to uh, tackle the issue, To to get sucked into the conspiracy theories, the hysteria, the unnecessary hysteria uh, regarding this uh, this virus, which has really shown itself not to be uh, the massive threat it was first uh, thought of, I think uh, it's important that uh, we uh, put a little bit of sanity into this debate. This is the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And if you think you've got symptoms, you can always call Nurse on Call or uh, most of the uh, public hospitals will now have uh, special... um, You can have access to somebody who can speak to you if you think uh, you've got something. But at the minute, human-to-human transmission has only occurred in two cases in Australia, and most of the people who've got coronavirus have got over it, and most of them picked it up uh, when they were overseas. Now, I've noticed the federal government is talking about helicopter cash. And our beloved Prime Minister, the very sneaky, foot-stomping, alleluia Prime Minister, and maybe when the new legislation comes out regarding religious vilification, they'll haul me off to court, which will be lovely. Maybe they can prove to me God exists. They're talking about helicopter cash. The Reserve Bank kind of broke water yesterday and dropped the the interest rate to 0.5%. The federal government is talking about an economic stimulus to businesses that have been affected by the epidemic. Uh, Universities, tourist industry, the list goes on and on, construction. And uh, they're even talking about giving you some money to spend to stimulate the economy. Well, guess what? I'm going to give governments at the state and federal level in Australia some unsolicited advice on how to stimulate the economy. And if the reception I receive is the same reception I received at the... uh, homeless uh, public meeting at Wanthaggy in Victoria on the weekend, uh, maybe nobody will be listening. But 
It's very simple. You want to stimulate the economy. Now, here I am. I'm a capitalist, economist. I believe that the market is the driving force be- be- behind all human activity, the market and market forces, which is a lot of crap, but let's pretend we believe in that. So how do you stimulate the economy in Australia? Do you rain cash on people? Do you reduce interest rates? Do you provide relief to businesses that have been affected? Do you embark on some huge construction program, which you've seen around the country? Well, it's simple, boys and girls. I can stimulate the economy to such an extent that it won't go into recession. Now, obviously, our regular listeners have realised that I finally lost what little few synapsy neurons I had left in my cerebral cortex and frontal lobes. But no, no, there's two still functioning. So how do you stimulate the economy? Very simple. If across the country, stamp duty revenue, which is raised when somebody purchases a home, and so there are stamp duty taxes on home purchases across the country, is quarantined for public housing, you can stimulate the economy and resolve the issue of homelessness, public housing waiting lists, housing affordability. It seems almost too good to be true. And although stamp duty is a state government tax, maybe the federal government could recompense the state governments if it went down this track instead of wasting its money on helicopter cash or reduced interest rates or whatever. So how does it work? It's very simple. In a capitalist society, in order to corner the greed market, in order to keep them in their corner and have some chance of uh, knocking them over, we need a strong public sector and a strong private sector. In a neoliberal economy, which is what Australia is, we have a strong, dominant, gigantic private sector and a shrinking, disappearing public sector. Shrinking, disappearing public sector. So as far as housing is concerned across this country, the private sector dominates housing. Public housing is something of the past. If it exists... It is in the throes of being privatised by state governments, especially the Victorian state government, which I'm familiar with. So what happens if you quarantine stamp duty revenue for public housing? Well, it's very simple. The first thing that happens is that the public housing sector grows. And in Victoria, which I'm familiar with the figures... Stamp duty revenue in the last year was around $6 billion. You quarantine $6 billion in a year for public housing, and you can do it through spot purchasing around the states. 
state spot purchasing homes in regional areas, rural areas, urban centres, inner city areas, outer urban centres. In Victoria, which I'm familiar with the figures, and it's the same across the country, you could house every homeless person in a month, you get rid of the waiting list in a year, and you could house between 15 and 20% of the Victorian population, the Queensland population, the list goes on and on, in public housing within a decade. So what is the beauty of public housing? Well, currently, in the housing affordability crisis which has been created through the domination of the housing sector by the private sector, through the, through the passage of laws which benefit private uh, developers who are involved in you know, uh, creating housing through uh, negative gearing laws. So what happens? Well, it's very simple. As the number of public houses increase, the demand for private rentals decrease. As the demand for private rentals decrease, rents, especially at the bottom end of the market, begin to fall. As rents at the bottom end of the market begins to fall and housing values begin to fall, investors will sell. So it would be much easier for first-time buyers to come into the market and actually get a mortgage for their own home, whether it's a unit or a home. So it's a matter of proportionality. At the same time, the great thing about public housing, obviously there are many negative things about public housing, there are negative things about everything in the world. The great thing about uh, public housing is the fact that it's secure housing and you're expected to pay 25% of your income. So if you've got safe, secure housing for 25% of your income for your lifetime if you decide to stay in a public housing sector. Did you hear the magic word? 25%. Now, most people in Australia today are paying 30, 40, 50, up to 60, and in some cases, if you're on a new start allowance, 70% of your income on rent or mortgage repayments. Because let's not forget, in Australia... 40% of Australians rent, another 35 to 40% paying off a mortgage and the rest own their own home. So it's not as if everybody owns their own home outright, and especially in periods when wage growth is minimal and housing prices are escalating because housing is now an investment, not a way of having a roof over your head, much of the disposable income that people have is sucked up by the need to pay these exorbitant uh, amount of your wage into keeping a roof over your head. So if more and more people enter the public housing sector, they will have disposable income. They'll have all this money which they can spend on garbage, goods and services which will help to stimulate the economy. Now, you may think this is all very rational, but I was interested to see there's this huge resistance 
to quarantining a tax which is levied on homes to provide further homes in the public sector. It was quite interesting to see the reaction at the Wonthaggy meeting at homelessness, which attracted a large number of people, and how the Labor Party fought tooth and nail in order to you know, protect their private public partnerships and you know, argue against quarantining stamp duty revenue. So the solutions are out there. It's a matter of political will. It's a totally a matter of political will. And political will only changes when people force our representatives to change their mind. Now, I've, learned, I've been on the planet many years, not as many as most of our, many of my listeners, but I've been on the planet nearly 70 years, and I've learned a few lessons the hard way. And the first lesson I've learned is they don't give a shit about whether you vote or don't vote, or whether you vote. They don't give a shit about whether you don't vote. They don't care whether you vote informal. What they care about is the people who vote. That's what they care about, and that's what they're concerned about. Currently in Victoria, the Labor Party is uh, rushing legislation through the uh, state parliament to create single-member electorates as, as far as the local elections are, are concerned, which are coming in uh, October, which is designed to knock out independents and, and green candidates. Because that's all they care about. All they care about, whether it's Labor, Liberal, National, all they care about is being re-elected. And when a new kid on the block emerges, they will do everything they can to squash that new kid on the block because that new kid on the block may take away a few precious votes from them and, more importantly, raise some ideas which challenge the status quo. And I'll talk about that in a second. So what do they really hate? They really hate the establishment of new political parties that can challenge them at the ballot box. In a period when we've got the agribusiness party masquerading as the national party, you know, lording it over some of the poorest regional areas in this country, pretending they look after the interests of regional and rural Australians while all they're interested in is their agribusiness mates. Look at the relationship between, you know, the uh, heir apparent, Mr Joyce, and Madam in West Australia. Then you've got the Liberal Party, which somehow... Small business think it's their party, the party of freedom, the party of free enterprise. I mean, the Liberal Party is the corporate party. All they're interested is in corporations. Look at their legislative agenda. They don't care about you. Then you've got the alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the ALP. And it was interesting to see at this one faggy meeting after the meeting, the uh, the um, you know, the the ALP at work. Very interesting. They're concerned. They are very concerned because they've lost their legitimacy. They're nothing more than another corporate party. Private public partnerships, privatising anything that's not you know nailed to the floor especially in Victoria, which I'm familiar with. 
Less so in Queensland, I understand. Just extraordinary. What an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. So, look, I'm very humbled by all the nice messages I get, you know. Great show, you did well, you explained that, good YouTube presentation, blah, 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 blah. Well, look, it doesn't matter how I feel. You don't need to stroke my ego, okay? I'm a megalomaniac. You don't need to stroke my ego, okay? What I want to see, I want to see the creation of political and social movements which act as battering rams to break through the facade that we live in an egalitarian community, that we actually care, that those who exercise power actually care about the rest of the community. That's what I want to be involved in. I mean, I can sit here and pontificate for the next 60 hours and it's not going to change anything without your assistance. And as I said before, the lesson I've learnt over the years is they are very unhappy when you move in onto what they consider to be their territory, the two-party system, the ALP, Liberal National Party, you know, fake juggernaut, you know, supposedly different but the same at the end of the day, friends of the corporate sector, friends of capitalism. So instead of sending me nice messages, which I love, obviously being a megalomaniac, but if you really want to cause them a little bit of discomfort, why don't you think about joining public interests before corporate interests? Formed in 2015, over 400 members on the electoral roll, we need 550 to register as a federal political party. Think about joining. Go to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net, N-E-T, download the application form, because I can assure you that once we start standing candidates against them in by-elections, the federal election, and we raise the issues that are raised on this program week after week, which are raised at Pipsy Congresses, then maybe, then maybe we will see some shift in direction as far as policy is concerned that will address the question of a deteriorating public health system, which is what we need when we face a threat of a new virus, like the coronavirus, or contact 19, get the numbers mixed up. Think about it. If you haven't got a computer, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And if you haven't got a phone, you can always... Write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Now, just to, in case you're interested in public interest before corporate interest, we've been having our fourth Congress on Saturday the 14th of March from 10am to 4pm at the Unitarian Peace Memorial Church at 110 Grace Street, East Melbourne. Observers are welcome. Only party members are able to cast a ballot. There are three issues on the agenda, which were decided at the AGM last week 
last year in November, and they are how to increase membership, crowdfunding, and the formation of affinity groups within Pipsy. So that so come along, meet people. You can join on the day, and if you join on the day, that gives you voting rights. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. That's right. I'm hosting this program through the Community Radio Network. It's heard across Australia. It's streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can go to 3cr.org.au and uh, download the podcast at any time. Tell your friends about it. Tell your enemies. The more that... Listen to us. Now, a few other things you can go, go on to. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. I do do a presentation every week. Public Interest Before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interests uh, Facebook page, Pipsy. Sorry, no. Uh, Web page, Pipsy.net. Facebook pages, uh, personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public. Few other Facebook pages you may find of interest. Defend and extend public housing, public housing, everybody's business, and the list goes on and on. More than I'd care for, but it's out there. But ultimately, as I said before, it doesn't matter how sharp the analysis is, how boring the analysis is. Ultimately, it's feet on the ground and the ability to influence the political process. And, uh, if that means electoral politics, it means electoral politics because we cannot continue to allow the lies, the deceptions, the double talk which we hear on a, every hour in this country to continue if we want a future for our children. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Well, practical. The word for the day, practical. Now, when you don't want to do anything about an issue, you use the word practical. And I remember how the, I was going to say the late John Howard. No, he's still alive, I understand, watching the cricket somewhere. But uh, former Prime Minister John Howard, that was his one of his favourite words which he poured into the lexicon. He said, practical cons- reconciliation. Now, I did notice that our beloved Prime Minister, the one and only, that little sleazy line gentleman, I love the sports rorts. I thought it was going to die, but it just goes on and on. It's the thing that gives and gives. I mean, he was up to it in his neck, Mr Morrison, right up to it in his neck, trying to manipulate the system to suit his party, and good boy, it worked well. So... Practical climate change. That's the one for the 21st century. During Howard's period, at the beginning of the 21st century, it was practical reconciliation, which means you do nothing about the big ticket items as far as reconciliation is concerned. You don't talk about land rights. You don't talk about acknowledging the past. You don't talk about treaty. You don't talk about a voice to Parliament. You talk about brushing off a few more crumbs into the uh, 
Indigenous community, and these crumbs are to a large degree sucked up by a private sector which provides services to these communities, not Aboriginal controlled. That's what practical reconciliation was all about, and that's what practical reconciliation uh, is all about in 21st century. It's the, but now we've got practical climate change, practical responses to climate change. And the word practical is code for doing nothing. Fine. Let's have a plastics recycling conference, which came and went. Bing, bing. Now you see it, now you don't. Let's try to divert the public's eyes from the real issue, the issue of the climate emergency. We've tried to downplay it, hasn't worked. We've tried to discredit the 95% of the scientists who, you know, think it's a real issue. Hasn't worked. So now when you've been asked to do something about it by a population which has become increasingly concerned regarding the changes they see themselves in the climate and the effect it has on them, well, you need practical. And what does practical mean? It means maintaining the status quo. And that's what practical reconciliation was about, maintaining the status quo. Practical climate change, maintain the status quo. Steady as she goes, forget about the icebergs in your way, forget about the rocks as you're abseiling, or whatever you do when you paddle down, paddling your canoe, down those, uh, whatever it is, those rocks. You know, steady as she goes. You really don't do anything. You do not want to upset the horses. You don't want to upset the coal industry. You don't want to upset the stock markets. Think about it. So every time you hear a coalition member or an alternative Liberal Party member, masquerade as the LP, talk about practical reconciliation and practical climate change, you know they're going to do nothing at that about that particular issue. You know that. That's the word. That's the buzzword. And that's the key. You've got to look at the buzzwords because they're really big on buzzwords. They think that somehow you and I, especially you and I, we're fools. We're idiots. We don't have a synapse in your own in our brain that we will accept everything we're told. Everything tells me, every statistical, statistic, and I, you know, I'm a, I consider myself to be a rational human being. Well, some people may disagree, but I consider myself to be rational, and I like to look at facts and figures before I make up my mind. And every fact and figure, almost 100% of the facts and figures which have come out of the woodwork over the last few decades has highlighted, and I'm going to use those four words again, has highlighted that the neoliberal revolution that has swept this country over the last four decades, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation and deregulation, 
has benefited that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and that 7 to 8% of the Australian population, which has the disposable income to take advantage of this country investor-friendly laws. And there is one statistic which highlights what's happened during these 40 years. 40 years ago, if you were a private investor and you invested a dollar into the private market and that dollar made a profit, 33% of that profit would go into your pocket as an investor and 67% of that profit, or around two-thirds, would go into the the pockets of the people who actually use that investment to create that profit. You know, the workers involved. Today, 40 years later, it's reversed. For every dollar that a private investor invests, which makes a profit, two-thirds of that profit will go into the pocket of the investor and one-third goes into the pocket of the people who created that profit, whose hands, whose work, whose intellect created that profit. And that's occurred because regulations have been removed, and that's what deregulation is, which protected workers' interests and protected the community from exploitation. And we see this constantly, whether it's the cladding issue, whether it's buildings, you know, not being built properly, whether it's toxic waste. We've seen... We've seen the consequences of deregulation. Then we've seen the consequences of corporatisation. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of small businesses going to the wall, never been able to grow because they can't compete against large corporations which dominate the marketplace. And the fact that legislation has been allowed to be passed that you know, benefits corporations, although most small business continue to think, I don't know why, the coalition, the agribusiness party and the corporate party somehow looks after them. What a load of crap. And we've seen it through privatisation. We've seen profitable public assets which returned money back to the central government, back to the Treasury, to be used for the Australian people, being virtually given away. Given away the private sector. I mean, Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, CSL, is a classical example of what happens when you privatise an exceptionally important organisation which provides important goods and services in the medical field and the cost to the community. And, you know, energy, electricity, water, gas... Airports, ports, land, public housing, and the list goes on and on and on. The titles office. Now they're going to sell off parts of the ABC. That's right. They're going to sell off inner city offices of the ABC. That's their latest little game. Because you know, it's incredible. And we allow it to happen. We have allowed it to happen. We have, you know, been hooked, line and sinker. We've, you know, we've seen that little hook dangling in the water saying, 
Oh, oh, let's give the corporate sector its head and you'll all benefit through the trickle-down effect. They call it the trickle-down effect. I call it the trickle-down effect. You know? And we go, oh, jump on the hook. And guess what? When you're hooked on the line, you get pushed in the boat and eaten. And that's what's happening. We've fallen for the bait. As a community, I'm not saying you individually has fallen for the bait. This community, we've fallen for the bait. That if you move regulations, if you allow corporations to do what they like, if you give away public assets to the private sector, and the list goes on and on, you know, and if you kind of allow countries that, you know, pay their workers 20 cents an hour to compete with our workers, that somehow we're all going to benefit. Yeah, sure. Huh? Ate the hook. They're on the boat and we've been devoured by the rich and powerful. And that's what happens when you let the, you know, that colourful lure of uh, helicopter money dominate your thinking. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, another little sport. And everybody's concerned about the Olympics being postponed because of the coronavirus, right? But there is a sport which I think is much more important than the Olympics, much more important than the World Cup as far as football isn't concerned, much more important than the Rugby World Cup or the Cricket World Cup, not that anybody's interested. Well, there may be one or two people out there interested. But it's ticking the box regatta. Ticking the box. Ticking the box. Now, I know there's been many New Start Allowance recipients listening to this program. And you go in for your interview and they tick the box, tick the box, tick the box, tick the box. They kick you out and say, it's all good, all bad. We've ticked the box. It's the same in hospitals, nursing homes. You tick the box, tick the box, but you don't actually change anything. You just tick the box. We are looking after people well. Yes, tick the box. I've done this. Tick the box, tick the box, tick the box. So you've got overworked staff in the public sector trying to do a bit of work, having to tick little boxes all the time, at the same time in the corporate sector. Tick the box, tick... Yes, we have employed disabled people but we don't re-employ them after the three months. (laughs) But we've employed able people. We've ticked the disabled box. Yes, we've employed gender-diverse people. Tick the box. But they're only on for a week or two or three, and then they're off the books. Tick the box, ticks the box. This is what I'm talking about. Ticking the box economics. Ticking the box social engineering. Ticking the box corporate dreaming. Well, I don't think they are fools. Well, I think we are fools. Or maybe we are. Maybe we are fools. Maybe we are fools. I think I'm a fool. I know I'm a fool. You know, I've done the right thing all my life, or attempted to. Paid me taxes. Worked hard. For what? To see... This country, it's not my country, 
this country, the country I live in, dominated by a small group of people who think it's their own personal fiefdom? You know? Extraordinary. If I lived on this planet almost 70 years to see every, almost every reform which was won through the struggles of the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s through the blood, sweat and tears of Australians who wanted a better life for themselves and their children being legislated away by the corporate party and the agribusiness party and the alternative liberal party masquerading as the ALP over the last 40 years pursuing a privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation agenda, telling me that it's all scientific, and I know I used the word scientific before, it's not science. Capitalism is not science. It is an ideology. It is a religion. And what we have been doing is form, we have been had ideological blinkers placed on our eyes, thinking that if we follow that mantra, that somehow life will improve. Improve? Three million Australians living in poverty, that's one in eight. 700,000 children living in poverty. Growing unemployment. Stagnant wages escalating costs, not in the private sector, but to a significant degree in the public sector. I mean, I had to get a little thing down at the post office, $49, ka-chink, and something else, $550, ka-chink. The list goes on and on. Stamp duty revenue, ka-chink. Increasing rates for decreasing services. Think about it. But ultimately, we've only ourselves to blame. We do live in a society that we have the capacity to change our leadership, irrespective of what the corporate-owned media and the government gilded ABC tells us on a daily basis. We do still have that capacity, although it's been whittled away and we have limited freedoms in this country, as we've seen with all these legislation that's come in which has stripped the, our common law rights because we've got no constitutional protection to those. But we do have options. And at every election I see the same thing. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Two-horse race. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Think about it. That's what they want. They don't want you to vote. They don't care if you don't vote. They make a... You know, they pretend they do, but they don't care. And they don't care if you're voting for them. They don't really care. All they, you know, all they care about is that you're quiet. That you're resigned to the situation. That you think change is impractical. It's impossible. You can't fight City Hall. You can't change anything. Everything is stacked against us so ah well I'll have another cigarette another joint another beer <laughs> even more damaging another soapy on television 
or a news, what is it, flick, news flick, whatever they call themselves, streaming, social media. I've become a clicked activist. I've got a sore finger, but I've changed the world, haven't I? They don't really care. They only care about two things. They care about you going on the street because that challenges their authority and they care about you getting into their little game and spoiling their electrical, electoral politics game, their parliamentary election game, the little fast they have to say that, you know, all we, want, all we need is a two-horse race. So you do have options, and that's the beauty of living in Australia in the 21st century. We still do have options. We have a lot of options, and whether we choose to explore them or not is up to us. But I am getting tired of people who complain and don't act. Because it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, you do have the capacity to act. You do have that capacity. And even if 5% of the population were involved in, you know, activity, it would cause a huge change in society. Let's remember that ultimately it doesn't matter what the colour of your skin is, your gender, your gender orientation, you know, your nationality, the language you speak. Ultimately, if you're a resident or if you're a permanent resident or a citizen in this country, ultimately what matters is understanding why we find ourselves in this situation. Why do you have to pay a mortgage for 40 years to get a roof over your head? Why do you have to pay a million dollars to get a three-bedroom home within 20 k's of the CBD? And the question is, why, 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 why? Why at the end of the week there's no savings, although interest rates are down to 0.5% as far as the Reserve Bank is concerned? Why? When interest rates are 0.5%, many credit cards are still charging 20 to 24% interest. The list goes on and on. Why do the same people get re-elected? Why does the Murdoch media continue to dominate political debate in this country and set the agenda every day? I don't need to read what's in the, you know, the Murdoch media. All I need to do is listen to the ABC and time and time again, it's the lead article or an article in one of their grubby little newspapers that um, dominates the airways for the next 24 hours and dominates discussion on social media as if we're reacting. We're constantly reacting. We're not creating. We're reacting, reacting, reacting. Look, I could sit here and tell you about all the limitations of government at the state and federal level, but I'm not interested in that. You know those limitations. You know the Andrews government in the led government in the Labor Party in Victoria has been, you know, you know, rubbing shoulders with developers for decades. You know they're interested in privatising the uh, public housing sector. You know all these things. I don't have to tell you these things on a weekly basis, but I think my role is different. My role is about encouraging you to take action, encouraging you to get involved, because without your support. What I say is nothing. Without people organising, change doesn't occur. And I can guarantee change will not occur. 
Because currently, we are on the margins of the margins. If there's one thing I am, it's realistic. You know, there wouldn't be many people listening to the Anarchist World this week. There aren't many people listening to uh, alternative ideas, and even in so-called alternative circles, most of the ideas are uh, issue-oriented. It's about this issue or that issue. It's very little broad analysis and broad action. So think about it. Think about what you're doing. Think about how things can change and think about, most importantly of all, your role in that change. Because democracy is not about casting a ballot every three years. Democracy is not waiting for the next federal election or state election to change the people who, the parliamentary puppets. Democracy is about an engaged population being involved in decisions on a regular basis, fashioning policy, pushing policy, and you only do that by being active. And you can be active financially and assist people involved in that struggle. You can be active by actually taking part. And you can be active by talking to your friends and neighbours about what you've heard this week on the Anarchist World This Week. So there are many ways of being active. There are many ways of undermining the power of those who currently exercise power in our society. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Have a look at yours truly on Public Interest before Corporate Interest YouTube channel. Present, uh, uh, do one presentation a week. Have a look. Not sure what I'm going to do this week. I'm thinking about it. I'll know in the next hour or so because I'll have to do it. But YouTube channel is over, oh, I think over 60 or 70 presentations now. Uh, become a friend on our YouTube channel and uh, tell people about it because what I'm trying to do is articulate ideas, get people active. Uh, Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Joseph Toscano, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the Public. Facebook page, main one, Joseph Toscano. Toscano for the Public, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests uh, webpage. That's pipsy.net. Download the application form, pipsy.net, pipsy.net. Have a look at it, see what you think. Join us. Let's become more than a burr under the saddle. Let's become part of that community battering ram that will shatter the illusions that everybody has in this country about us living in some type of, you know, um, economic liberal nirvana. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station remember the program is podcast you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au nudge your friends along to the podcast and once again you want to join pipsy download the application form pipsy.net thank you to the community radio network for broadcasting the anarchist world this week from the studios of community radio 3cr in melbourne to the people of Australia, North and South, East and West, in every state, in every territory. Minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death.
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.